0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at Newdaycommunity.org. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Happy. I like that. Happy Easter. He is risen indeed. Wait, I should do it the other way. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We'll do it that way. It's so good. Awesome. It is so fantastic to, to be with you guys on this Easter morning. It was so much fun eating breakfast together. Our, I think this was our second annual. Is that our third annual? Third. Might be our third annual Easter morning breakfast. And it's so much so much fun. So thank you guys for eating. Thank you for fellowshipping and being part of the family of God that he is creating here in New Day Vandalia. Love doing life with you guys. So this morning... Uh, is Easter, and so I thought I would talk about the resurrection of Jesus. It seemed like the appropriate thing to do. Uh, and there's this thing, as a, as a pastor, right, and as a speaker, as a communicator, you want to come up with something new and exciting, right? Something that nobody has ever heard before. But one of my uh, systematic Uh, professor said, if you discover something in the scriptures that nobody else has discovered before, you're in trouble. So, uh, So we are going to stick with the basics today. We're going to tell the story. We're actually going to look at the the stations of the cross. You probably noticed the pictures hanging in the family room. And the, the, the plan is just to walk through those 12 pictures as we follow the life of Jesus in his final hours of his life. And then, once we get to the resurrection, we're going to look at how the resurrection impacts our past, our present, and our future. Right? So when you leave today, the goal is that you understand why we have those 12 weird paintings hanging up in the family room and you understand the significance of the resurrection. Okay? And so this, the Stations of the Cross, um, uh, it refers to a series of images and these ones are particularly created by a guy by the name of Scott Erickson. And it depicts Jesus Christ on the, on the day of his crucifixion or leading up to his cruc, crucifixion. And often these, uh, these stations of the cross will be accompanied by prayers or scripture verses. There's, there's actually a brochure out in the, in the family room that has all the, the stations in it along with a little scripture to, to go along with it. So if you have that, you can follow along with me today. And And the reason these exist is they they grew up or they were created out of the the Via Della Rosa, which is in Jerusalem. Uh, Via Della Rosa means the way of pain. And many people believe that this road through Jerusalem is the actual path that Jesus took uh, as he carried his cross to Golgotha, to Calvary. But somewhere along the line, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, somebody thought, you know what, not everybody can go to Jerusalem to walk the stations on the Via Della Rosa. We should create some imagery and then we can just bring it to churches and they can practice this pilgrimage. Maybe not in uh, physical, physically going to Jerusalem, but we can practice a, a spiritual pilgrimage by coming to, to look at and remember the story of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so the Stations of the Cross, uh, sometimes there's 12, sometimes there's 14, have become a very, very popular devotion uh, across all sorts of different Western churches, Anglican, Lutheran, Methodist, Roman Catholics, and now non-denom Charismatics. So here we are. It's here. It's arrived. Um, And so today, my goal is that we walk through these pictures together as we remember the final moments of Jesus's life and so often when I was young and maybe today or last year I would come to church on Easter and I would think I know exactly I know exactly what they're going to do I know exactly the story they're going to tell I've heard it been there done that right and and we think in this kind of Western paradigm of like this knowledge like, I've got it, I've taken the class, I read the book, check, now I'm ready to move on to the next thing. But in the the Hebrew paradigm, there's this, we see throughout the the Old Testament scriptures that there is this repetition of the story, the repetition of the story out of uh, out of Egypt, We see a repetition of Abraham's journey to the promised land. And these stories are repeated over and over again. There is a a famous prayer called the Shema. It's recorded in Deuteronomy 6. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord... Oh, my goodness. Hear, O Israel... I'm going to have to look that up. (laughs) Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. He shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. A good Hebrew, or a good Jew, would have that memorized, right? And because they pray it every morning and every evening, right? And they don't come at it with like, oh, I get it, right? The Lord is one. Let me, what's the next thing, right? The idea is to be formed by these prayers, to be formed by these teachings. And so as we maybe spend the entire year talking about grace and truth, go, oh, we already heard that. We get grace, right? But come at it with an expectation to receive maybe not new information, but new revelation. New revelation of the, the, the love and the grace and the truth of Jesus. And this morning, as we reread these probably familiar passages, just allow them to form you. Allow the Holy Spirit to reveal something new to you today. And we're also going to be putting the images of the stations up on, on the screen. And, and there's a lot of symbolism. My family has had a really good time just looking at these pictures and trying to wrestle through, what does that snake represent? Or why is there a cup here? And what's, you know, what's this doing here? And, and, just, and so they're kind of subjective, so just allow them to speak to you as we go through the stations. Okay? Okay. Awesome. Everybody's got Erickson. Number one. The first station is that Jesus is tempted. And Jesus, before he was betrayed, went to the garden of Gethsemane to to pray with his disciples. And the the scripture says, And Jesus went with them, the disciples, to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And in this story, the disciples also, in anguish and in grief, fall asleep over and over again. Right? In Jesus' time of need, when he needs that support, his friends abandon him and forsake him in this night watch. Station two, we remember that Jesus is betrayed. And even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed. And gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. And the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. And in this imagery we see 30 pieces of silver falling into Judas' hands. As one of his closest, not only falls asleep on him in his time of need, but actually betrays him with a kiss. And station three Jesus is condemned. Gospel of Matthew says, inside. The leading priests and the entire high council were trying to find witnesses who would lie about Jesus so they could put him to death. But even though they found many who agreed to give false witness, they could not use anyone's testimony. Finally, two men came forward who declared, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus remained silent. Then the high priest said to him, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replied, You have said it. And in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, Blasphemy! Why do we need any other witnesses? You have all heard this blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they shouted. He deserves to die. Here in the court of the high priest, these people who had given their lives to serve. And to worship, to be mediaries, medi- mediators between the people and, the, the, and God. They stood to condemn Jesus, the divine one, fully God. And though we don't see it in, in this scripture, this is the same time as this court unjustly accuses and and, uh, gives Jesus the guilty verdict, Peter is in the, the courtyard denying that he ever even knew who Jesus was. And so as Jesus walks towards the cross, his friends forsake him and betray him and deny him. And as we remember the cross, as we look and we remember these stations we as we read this story we should not sit and go man i cannot believe what peter did because so often we are the ones that are mocking we are the ones that are denying and we are the ones who have forsaken jesus Station four, Jesus is mocked and they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, hail king of the Jews. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. The sinless Savior. His back ripped open with the whip. This crown of thorns put on his head as mockery. And then Jesus is given his cross. The Gospel of John says, Carrying his cross by himself, he went to the place of the skull. In Hebrew, Golgotha. Just as Moses raised a serpent in the the wilderness and all who had been bitten by the, the poisonous serpents were healed. In the same way, Jesus takes his cross, which he will soon be lifted up upon. For the healing of the world. And you can't see it very well in this, in this picture, but in the, in the arms there is a loaf of bread on your left and a cup of, of wine on the right. Speaking of communion, Jesus' broken body. Jesus spilled blood. And the next station is station 6. Jesus falls. And while we don't have this recorded in Scripture, in the, in the imagery of this, this story, and because of what happens next as someone is pulled out of the crowd to take the cross, we know that Jesus stumbled and fell. Under the weight of this huge wooden cross, after being whipped and and beaten and mocked and tortured, he didn't have the strength to continue carrying it. So we remember this station with Mark 15, 19. It says, And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, and dropped to their knees in mock worship. They tortured him until he could barely walk. And at station seven, Simon carries Jesus' cross. So says a passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander, and Rufus. I've often not known what to do with this seemingly insignificant part of the, the gospel, or of, the, of the narrative of Jesus' passion. Who is this guy? Why do we care about Simon? But as I've been pondering it this Holy Week, I just think of how Simon is just a regular guy, Right? And I'm just a regular guy. And as I follow Jesus, as I take up my own cross, right, I get to bear some of that burden along with him. And Jesus, at Calvary, at the place of the skull, is stripped he's put at the cross. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. Jesus is stripped. The Savior of the world stands naked at the cross. And Pastor Jimmy, as I was listening to him talk on Good Friday, he made this comparison between Jesus, the second Adam, standing naked at the cross with the first Adam being naked and unashamed in the garden. And how we see in this imagery Jesus coming full circle. Though through Adam all die, through Jesus all can be made alive. And then Jesus is nailed to the cross. Scripture said, It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. A sign announced the charge against him. It read, The King of the Jews. By this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle and Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words he breathed his last. And the curtain this might seem, for people who are new to the story, what is, who cares about this curtain? And this curtain was this big, thick tapestry that hung in the, in the, in the, in the temple that, that separated the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's presence dwelled. And, and it separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place where the priests could come and offer sacrifices. Only one time a year could anybody walk into the the Holy of Holies, one priest, to make atonement for Israel. And when he did, it was such a scary and fearful thing to walk into the presence of God that they would tie a rope around their foot so that if they were sinful, if they died in the presence of the Lord, they could drag him out. And yet we see when Jesus breathes his last, after he screams from the cross in another gospel, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The curtain is torn in two, praise Lord. Right, Indicating that we now have free access into the presence of God. We are now adopted into his family. We are called sons and daughters. And at any time, day or night, we can run into the lap of our father. Because of what Jesus did, He tore the veil. He broke down the dividing wall that kept us from intimacy, from being in the presence of our Father. And then Jesus is buried. As evening approached, Joseph, a rich man from Arimathea who had become a follower of Jesus, went to Pilate and asked for his body. And Pilate issued an order to release it to him. Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a long sheet of clean linen cloth. He placed it in his own new tomb, which had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a great stone across the entrance and left. Jesus... Was really dead. Sometimes it feels like, well, why? Why did it? Why did it, Why is it so important? We see in First Corinthians 15 when Paul is saying this is the core part of the, the gospel. It's that Jesus lived a sinless life, that so He died on the cross, that He was buried, and He rose again. Why does it matter that He was buried? It's because He was super dead. His He wasn't breathing. His heart wasn't beating and they rolled the the stone at the entrance and wept. All that they thought, all that they expected was going to turn out had been for nothing. They had been tricked and they didn't know what to do. But then on the third day, it says early on Sunday morning as the new day was dawning Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb Suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven rolled aside the stone and sat on it His face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint Then the angel spoke to the women Don't be afraid he said I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Just as he said would happen. Come and see where his body was lying. Praise the Lamb. Jesus is alive and then the, the angel tells the, 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 the women to go and tell the disciples. I, I read a post um, earlier This week on on Facebook, whatever, and it was and the the, this question is like, how can we make how can we make uh, our Easter service more biblical? And they said, do it at sunrise and only invite women. (laughs) (laughs) I I love like that is amazing, right? The women were. Second-class citizens, they were not allowed to testify in court. They were shunned, right? And so the fact that the authors said that it was women who were the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, it has to be true, because nobody would make that up. Right? The, the first apostles are women sent to the disciples. That's a controversial statement. They were sent to, to the disciples to say, Jesus is alive. And that is what we celebrate this morning. Our Jesus is alive. So, Father, we thank you. Thank you. Wow! Thank you. How could it be that you would die on, on a cross, that you would allow your body to be broken and beaten, that you, the sinless one, the, 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 the divine creator of the world, would allow creation to spit on you and mock you. That you would endure all that for us. Well, the, the author of Hebrews says that for the joy set before you, you endured the cross. Jesus, you endured all this for me. You endured all that for each and every one in this room and for the entire world. And Lord, we repent for our sin. Lord, we confess that we are broken, that we are in desperate need of you. And we thank you for the new life that we have because of your resurrection. Okay, so quickly, before we wrap up, this is my last thing. I'm just going to <laughs> Just a classic passage. I'm just going to wrap up with three points. <laughs> oh, what happened to me? Okay, so the resurrection is actually an incredibly important thing. Okay, it is an amazing story. The story that we just talked about, the, the pain that, that Jesus endured and then the, the joy of that Sunday morning at Jesus' resurrection. I, and, uh, and I want to, before we as a, as a family, as a congregation, we left to our Easter celebrations with our families or whatever it is that you have planned for today, that we remembered, we took the time to remember and to replay that story and we take a moment to go, well, what does it matter? So that you can take this with you and go, oh, the resurrection impacts my past and my present and my future. Okay, so it impacts our past, Because we are all sinners. Bad news, friends. We're all sinners and we all deserve death. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Right, And in this sinfulness, in this sinful state, we are far from God. We are unable to get back to Him, to be restored to Him. Each and every one of us are like orphans that have left our home, that have left our parents, have been angry and rejected, and now we're far off. And even if we wanted to get back home, even if we wanted to come back home to mom and dad, we have no ability to get there. But while we, in our sinful state, while we are shaking our hands in anger and defiance against Jesus, Right? God puts a plan into action to redeem us and to restore us, to bring us back home. And we see this even in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. There's this mysterious glimmer of hope when God tells the serpent, the seed of this woman who you've deceived is going to crush the head of the serpent. What does that mean? What does that look like? And as we trace the the story through the the Old Testament into the the Gospels, we see that Jesus is that seed. And that at the cross and in the resurrection dealt the death blow to Satan. He paid the sacrifice. He paid the penalty that we deserved for our sins. So it is through Jesus' death, His spilled blood and His resurrection broken body that our sins are covered and forgiven it is because of the resurrection that we can be brought home to god we don't have to earn our way in we don't have to do all the right things we just bend the knee to jesus and say i'm living for you from this point on and our past is forgiven so what does the resurrection have to do with our present Dr. David Jeremiah, the author, says this. He says, Because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, he now gives us the same power that was used to bring him back from the dead so that we can live our lives every day in resurrection power. Guys, we have resurrection power as Christ followers dwelling inside of us. Oh, I want to read this verse. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 says, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Right now. That's incredible. We have the same power that brought a dead Jesus back to life living inside of us. Right? Jesus told his disciples before he was murdered, he said, it's good that I go away. I can imagine them going, you are crazy, Jesus. What are you talking about? How could it be good that I go away? Because he's like, "If when I go away, I'm going to send another helper, a guide, the Holy Spirit to fill you, to empower you, to be witnesses and to empower you to live lives that bring glory to God. Like this, this is incredible. Right, we cannot follow Jesus on our own. We it, Just read the Old Testament. It never works out very well. They try for a little bit, and then they fail and fall and stumble and mess up. And eventually... I, that makes it sound like Jesus was a plan B. Jesus was never a plan B. He was always plan A. But in the failure, God knew I need to write the, the law on their hearts. I need to fill them with their, the Holy Spirit to empower them to live for me. Right? We can't follow Jesus on our own, but we have this Holy Spirit in us. And this gives us power to be overcomers. It gives us power to be transformed more and more into his image. Because of the resurrection, we have power to live godly lives. Full, abundant, overflowing lives. I would love to talk more about that, but I'm going just to move right along here to the future. To the future. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) So the resurrection also impacts our future. Because Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee that we too will be raised to life after we die. Paul teaches, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Because Jesus rose from the dead, because he is now seated at the right hand of the Father, we have hope, this confident expectation of what God said he would do, that we too will be raised to life. Unless Jesus comes back first and we don't die, then we skip that part, which is pretty great. But if we die, we know that we will be raised to life again. This is what the the message says. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. He's the first fruits, that's right. One more future verse. But now that you, this is again, uh, Eugene Peterson from his message translation says, but now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do, and you have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise. So much better. A whole, healed, put together life right now with more and more of life on the way. See, the good news, right, is that we get to step into the fullness, the abundance of life right now, even in the midst of a world that is still in chaos and is still under the sway of the evil one. We get to step into that fullness of life right now. We have access to the kingdom, right? But we have a future where we will step into the fullness of living face-to-face in these whole perfect lives. Work hard for sin your whole life and your pension is death. But God's gift is real life, eternal life, delivered by Jesus, our Master. Because of the resurrection, we have hope. We have a confident expectation of what God has promised that we too will be resurrected to eternal life. The resurrection impacts our past, impacts our present, and impacts our future. It is the the greatest reality that truly leads to the best life now and for all of eternity. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to make that step today. It is the best decision that you will ever make. And so whether you have or have not, I would invite you guys to, to stand and we're just going to read this prayer of salvation as a, either a recommitment or a new commitment to live our lives with knees bended, bended? Bent to King <laughs> Jesus. Bended. Okay. All right, so pray after me. Dear Lord Jesus, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I am a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. And rose from the dead. I turn from my sins, I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart. And invite you to come into my heart and into my life. And into my life. I, want to trust I want to trust and to follow you, and to follow you as my Lord, as my Lord and, my Savior. and my Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.